Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello, you're very welcome to The Tonight Show. One in five jobs to go at RTE. Up to 400 roles are to be made redundant over four years in a cost-cutting plan. The job cuts at the national broadcaster are to be voluntary. Uh, and we're not going to allow it to fail. We're not going to allow it to cease to operate as a going concern. And that's why they will need additional finance. They will need that before the end of the year. Thomas Hand, the father of Irish-Israeli hostage Emily Hand, makes an emotional plea in Dublin for his daughter's return ahead of her ninth birthday. She's only a child. Of course she's going, where's my dad? Where's my dad? RTE is to cut around a fifth of its workforce with the loss of 400 jobs. The cost cutting is included in a strategic review to be brought to Cabinet tomorrow. The redundancies will first be sought on a voluntary basis. RTE also intends to slim down its own productions and will outsource half of all programming to the independent sector within five years. Well, for there's two separate questions here. Uh, there's the 40 million that RTE will need to keep RTE going. Uh, and then there's the wider piece as to what the future of RTE looks like and how that's going to be funded. Um, I believe RTE is an essential uh, service. It's a public service broadcaster. Uh, and we're not going to allow it to fail. We're not going to allow it to cease to operate as a going concern. And that's why they will need additional finance. They will need that before the end of the year. Uh, the exact amount has yet to be agreed. Well, for more on this, I'm joined now by Fianna Fáil TD, Paul McAuliffe, Gary Gannon from the Social Democrats, Irish Independent Ireland editor, Fiona Sheehan, WLR radio broadcaster and former RTE correspondent, Damien Tiernan, and DCU professor of journalism, Colleen Morell. You're all very welcome to the programme. Fiona, this is a plan that had been promised by the new DG, Kevin Backers. He gave it to... Um, the media minister last week, and we've got leaked details of it this evening. In short, reduced head count and a reduction in services. Yeah, so Kevin Backhurst will deliver a presentation uh, at, a, at a staff meeting tomorrow about half three. They're expecting that'll take an hour and a half or, or two hours uh, to sell it to the staff, and then he'd have to sell it to the wider public as well, publishing it and going out and explaining what this will, will mean for the, the licence fee uh, pair. And as you said, the, the big ticket item is the, the reduction uh, in staff numbers because that if you need to to make um, cost savings that's basically where uh, where you 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 look at fundamentally so yeah you are looking at one in five over the course of five years now that sounds like you okay it's watered down over the course of five years it's a very difficult figure to achieve particularly because it's not with compulsory redundancies so if you close down a, a particular section of an organization uh, and you're achieving a cost saving there that the staff still remain uh, in place we've long-standing uh, agreements and opposition by by trade unions that you shouldn't have compulsory uh, redundancies either in the 
um, in the public sector or the semi-state sector, uh, even commercial semi-state sector like this. There have been the rare. Mandatory we've, redundancies we've, in RTE. We've, no, not in not in RTE. We've had rare occasions like Irish shipping where there have been compulsory redundancies uh, across the board, and and other entities where literally what that entire sections of that entire organisation, the work it, it's doing, uh, moves on. Whereas in in a case like RTE, people. Yeah, the operational aspects of it have changed, but people have, have gone to, to other areas. So part of it will be uh, approaching people and saying, listen, the area in which you are working, we don't intend to be doing as much work there anymore. Your options are to apply to, to move elsewhere uh, or to, to go for, for redundancy. And that, that tends to, 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 to attract um, some people a voluntary redundancy scheme will also do so. So, I mean, what's on the line is, as the Taoiseach has been outlining, they're looking to put forward a credible plan in order for the government to be able to turn around and say, well, look, you need time to initiate this plan. It looks credible to us. Here's 40 million, which will tide you over in the intervening period, because we know they're going to be down 60 million uh, over the course uh, of 18 months from the middle of this year to the end of, of next year. And we know as well that they were already projecting they were going to be down 35 million next year, and they're not getting getting all that, that sums, those sums matched either. Okay, that's um, some of the cuts that have been proposed in terms of staff. What about services? So, no, no specific major specifics yet on on services. Some of the the more I suppose niche radio stations talking about the online ones talking about those and those down services that's RT, like Pulse, RT Two XM, yeah, uh, RT Radio, Junior Radio, um, talking about RT Plus One. Being being shown, so we're, we'll be looking tomorrow to see. Okay, is there any other aspect uh, of the organisation that we're we're that they're looking at here to say that's going to be uh, going to be gone? We're also going to be looking at the the land uh, issue if they are stay, they're obviously staying on the Montrose campus, but is there another section of it? Uh, that will be will be sold off. So that and wholesale disposal of Donnybrook, yeah, that's that's that, not that's, on the table. That's here. gone. But there are there are still other aspects of it where uh, they they could raise some money. We're also not hearing anything tonight about any type of, of part privatisation uh, of of any aspect for of it. However, another layer to that would be: Are we going to get an indication tomorrow of what particular programmes are they looking at uh, in in terms of outsourcing them? to the, the private sector and, and, and buying them back uh, as a finished product. Okay, Damien, 400 redundancies for any organisation is a pretty major deal, even if it is over uh, four and a half years. Some of those, I think, redundancies, they'll be looking for kind of in the short term. What do you think the reaction is from staff? What are you hearing this evening? I was talking to a fair few of them tonight. Dismay, anger, fear. Dismay first that their futures are being discussed by a leaked document. Like management should have known, if they were going to give the document to government departments, it's going to leak. They should have had this meeting tomorrow before tomorrow. Like, that's bad management. Anger then that tomorrow's meeting is going to be a charade. That's all it's going to be. And that anger is going to be expressed there because staff want to know if there's a secure plan, a long-term plan for their future. And this appears at this stage, from what we know, that that's not the case. And then the fear is, fear of death by a thousand cuts, that this is going to basically be one after the other. Morale is going to get to the rock bottom. Really difficult. Staff are very, very annoyed tonight. Really annoyed tonight about it. But to go back to the point that Fiona made, we're talking about 60 million of a deficit. It is worth pointing out there was a 34 and a half million of a shortfall long before the scandal at RTE. Was exactly. there no expectation among staff that headcount, that numbers would have to be looked yeah, at? Yeah, but that's not the staff's fault. The staff did not cause this problem. 
And I'm not just saying that because I'm an ex-staff member or a trade unionist, they didn't cause this problem. Bad management have caused this problem. It's as simple as that. And that's... And but the ability, were there solutions without looking at headcount? The ability... There are various different ways of doing it, and you'd be able to reorganise stuff in conjunction with representative groups. Probably different ways of looking at voluntary redundancy packages. But a lot of the voluntary redundancy packages, as Fanon would know and from our dealings with this in the past, haven't worked. They just haven't worked. So do you think and this ultimately is going to lead to mandatory redundancies there? That would be another fear. I don't think so. But, like, to me, management, senior management is, is, is in a difficult position because they have to basically secure funding. We know the government is saying that RT is too big to fail. So this, I think, appears for a lot of staff as an announcement to secure short or medium-term funding, but it's not to put the organisation on a long-term, sustainable way forward. And that's the problem. So, again, we'll hear an awful lot more tomorrow, but like the way it's been handled has been just ridiculous. Yeah, it's tough, tough news oh, for staff ridiculous. to read like that. Like RT staff tonight, watching this and thinking about this, you just feel so, so sorry for mm. them. Given what a lot of them have felt and been through over the last couple of months, uh, you would have to feel sorry for them. Uh, Paul, this is, though, what government asked for, isn't it? They said to Kevin Backers, they tasked him with putting forward a cost-cutting strategy that would justify further investment in RTE. Have you got what you wanted? Well, first of all, that was a request from government. Um, but I think, first of all, Damien's point around staff, like anybody heading into a day when they may lose their job or they're looking at, you would have to, ha have, to have sympathy for those as individuals. And it was very clear during all of my time on the Public Accounts Committee during this crisis was that there was certainly an appearance that there was two RTEs. Uh, there were those who were receiving huge payments and then there were people on very, mod on very modest incomes. Um, so I, I think what we want, what we will want to see tomorrow is that uh, the principal public sector broadcasting is, is maintained. That doesn't only have to be an RTE, that can be across newspapers and uh, uh, pr private broadcasting as well. But we also have to see that robust and transparent financial arrangements are put in place so that things like the barter accounts can never be repeated again. Now, the difficulty is, is that I think Damien's right. This is a short-term measure in order to tie things over for this budgetary year. Uh, the minister's report, the Mazar 1, 2 and 3, which we expect uh, er, early next year, deals with those longer-term issues uh, and those uh, issues around financial management. So I think in, in some ways, tomorrow is about getting them to the, to, to, to the next financial year. Um, but I think Damien is right. There will be people in RTE and there'll be viewers of RTE that want to see a long-term plan. And that will involve difficult decisions by government, for example, around licence fee and, and all of those so things. So will you back this plan? You're on the Public Accounts Committee. You've asked RTE to come in also with a plan, a reform plan. Will you back this plan? Yeah, well, first of all, we have to see it. Uh, and second of all, what the Public Accounts Committee are, are, are tasked with is the public money. There's obviously uh, private commercial money here. And I think there is questions around how that's been divided and how, what separation uh, has taken place uh, you know, previously. And uh, among all of this tobacco, there seems to be a huge mix of public money and, pro and private commercial entities. Okay, and okay. I'm just I think not, there's a question there. I suppose I'm just not quite clear, Paul, whether or not the government understood or accepted that if they sought reform like this, where there is at a minimum, a 34.5 million budget deficit long before the scandal blew up, that it would follow that there would have to be a cut in the headcount. Yeah, I, think, I think it was envisioned by the Minister that there would be uh, reductions in costs and also that there would be alternative uh, re revenue income sought. That, 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 that was inevitable uh, fr from beforehand. But the... So you do support the headcount cuts here? 
Well, we, we haven't seen any of the details, Kira, and I'm not a member of government, I haven't seen them, so it's, it's unfair to ask me that question. What I can say is, is that whatever comes back as a member of the Public Council Committee that I am a member of, uh, I, I want to see the robust financial arrangements put in place so that public money is protected. Gary Gannon? Yeah, I don't think it was inevitable, certainly from the comments. This was placed on the front page of the Daily Mail, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, that there would be 400 redundancies. And Minister of State, Ushin Smith, came out and denied that that would be the case. So I don't think it was inevitable to staff in RTE today that they'd be hearing about one of five of their jobs being lost. I think it's quite clearly indicative of this approach that the government has taken, where there has been a hands-off approach from the Minister, from Oisín Smith, who made it clear that this wasn't going to be the case. And I might simply stay with the staff. Yeah, the but R they, I suppose, in fairness to the government, they said, but look, it's not up to us to go in and look at the books of RTE. I'm tasking you, the new DG, with coming up with a plan. He's now come back sure. with a plan, with but some uncomfortable measures like the cut of 400 staff. In fairness Do you to think what that shouldn't have been part of the in plan? In fairness to what were the utterance coming from government, Oisín Smith was very clear that 400 redundancies wouldn't be taking place. Now, I accept so do you the think the saving that need to be made in RTE can be done without redundancies. I haven't seen the plan yet, but what I do know in terms of what Oisín Smith said, who is a member around the cabinet table, he clearly said that this wasn't going to be the case. Now, look, today my thoughts are going to be with this staff who actually found out through a press release. One of the tasks that were given to RTE was rebuild public confidence. Does this leaked document where staff now find out the day before they were supposed to be told in person, does that... I just have a feeling, yeah. I have to be honest, Fiona, that, you know, here we go again with politicians going into RTE, bringing them in front of the Public Accounts Committee, the Media Committee, asking them to go away, come up with a plan, they come back with a plan, and lo and behold, no politician wants to say, yes, we agree these cuts are necessary. Yeah, and it looks I mean, like it's the, a lose-lose It looks like RTE. there's clever aspects of the, the plan as well, where they're talking about uh, doing more production in, in Cork, Limerick, Galway, so that immediately gets... The, the politicians in those regions that's off your back. A few dozen people. That's because, not be a lot. yeah, so that's that's going to be... Then Limerick is not kicking up like you had uh, five years ago and it was talking about shutting down the, 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 Limerick, the Limerick studio. You have two options here. Fine, you don't want redundancies, then you give RTE more money and you say where, where, what's not going to get money instead. So there's a 40 million shortfall coming up next year resulting in licence fee revenue. If you want to give RTE 40 million, another 21 million on top of that for the, for the shortfall this year, well then, then that's fine. Otherwise, you go to the management and you say you need to come up with a plan for, for cutting costs. You, you can't have it both ways. Yeah, because changes in corporate governance aren't going to fill the hole, are they? No, and, and no. there are substantial well, the figures here, and there, there are substantial <laughs> figures in, in terms of, of saying, well, look, some people were paid a lot of money, other people, okay, great, that, that's whittled down people's money at, at, at higher levels, great, okay. But there's still a substantial hole here. So if you're not going to go for redundancies and you're not going to go uh, for extra funding from the Exchequer, well, then where, where is the magic money tree coming here? Um, Colleen, I think we do have to be very conscious that deep cuts like this and one in five staff, even if it is over a four-year period, it's very tough on an organisation, isn't it? It is, and I've seen it happen in other corporations. ABC has let go people since 2014. <clears throat> Lots of people have left there. The BBC, CBC Radio Canada is a tiny um, kind of company compared to what it was, and it outsources so much now. I mean, basically, with the BBC cuts and the ABC cuts, hundreds of years of experience walked out the door. And that has an effect on an organisation as well in terms of how well it can do its journalism. I mean, unless it's going to outsource absolutely everything. There's another company in Australia, SBS, which is a little bit like this insofar as it's a hybrid. Um, 
It's got part commercial, part government funding, but it outsources an awful lot. It buys in programs and things, except for the news. I mean, I'm guessing news is going to be pretty safe in ter you know, in terms of the rest of the of um, RTE, but until we know what the plan is and where these jobs are going from, we won't know that. But what you're saying is, look, there has to be an acceptance that the quality of the output is going to change? Well, I mean, the quality may well change, but I think you can't really get rid of too many people in news. I mean, a, a country needs a public service broadcaster. I think politicians would agree about that um, as much as anybody else. I think the, the main problem here was that funding could have been done differently before this scandal broke. I mean, the Future of Media Commission suggested 50 different ideas to the government. They took 49 of them, but refused the licence fee change. I mean, the BBC is giving up its licence fee in, in 27. Um, the ABC gave up its licence fee ages ago. I mean, lots of countries in Europe are simply financed through, through government. It doesn't... Through direct exchequer yeah. funding, yeah. which our government it's has ruined our time and anyway, so... The failure of political parties to deal with this, exactly what Colleen is saying. The issue of public service broadcasting and funding and all, across all the different strands, like core services, what are RTE core services? What are public service core services? So sometimes you have to feel, as a journalist, really annoyed with politicians who have failed to make a decision on this. Um, to go to you on that, that is one of the problems, isn't it? Yeah. For years. And are we seeing it here again and again and again? Yeah, look, that I, when I it think comes to around, difficult decisions around, around public service broadcasting, fee, no politician is actually willing to touch it. Yeah, I think the issue of the licence fee was controversial long before the, issue, the, 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 the scandal this summer. What and has, not addressed No, uh, uh, and, and I, I admit uh, government has pushed it down the road and it was part of the Future Media Commission report. The difficulty is, is that I can't see anything in this plan or really anything since June where RTA is coming out fighting for funding uh, through the licence fee. We've seen week after week people paying less and less, people paying the licence fee. Even last week, RTE were still withholding documents uh, from the Public Accounts Committee only at the last minute, uh, make, making them available. But is this not but, them uh, coming out fighting now? They're willing, Kevin Backers is willing no, to make pretty no, difficult decisions There's nothing decisions that here. I've seen, and again, it's a, it's, a, it's a leaked document, but there's nothing that I've heard or seen in, in, the, in these reports that say that RTE is going to come out fighting and say to the public, we are good value for money. We are important. We are part of uh, we are part of what's needed in a democracy, and, and we're, we're, we're going to deliver it in an open and transparent way. I, again, I've seen nothing from RTE itself over the last six months that is trying to arrest the the, the flow away from people. People should pay their license fee. I, I believe that, but I don't see the organisation fighting to try and encourage people to, pay, to make that payment. Would the soft Dems just give them the forty million? And sometimes perfectly believe that public service broadcasting and public service as a whole costs money. We've never stepped away from that. So you're raising debt as a political party. But what the Sock Dems also recognise is this scandal was brought to the table by Green and Avarice at the very top levels of RTE. And now there's the staff who are not going to be paid anywhere in the close as much who are going to pay. I believe in okay, the licence fee. Okay, just to go back to no, my question, sorry, would you give RTE question. 40 million or what changes I, would you have to see? I believe in public million. funding and a licence fee. In order for that licence fee, you need to rebuild trust and confidence and that's the job that was placed at RTE and he failed to do it to this point. Uh, Fiona, they talk about this Channel 4 style you know, broadcaster in Ireland that that's ultimately what RTE would become. What does that mean? Well, I, th I think it, it effectively means that you're, you're quite clear of what is your commercial remit and what is your, your public service remit. And at the moment, they, they tend to be quite jumbled up uh, within RTE. We're, we're, we're unclear 
what exactly we're getting in return for our license fee because the license fee income is, is melded in with the advertising income and sponsorship income. So part of this exercise, or, or perhaps the report in the new year, will, will probably be to be quite clear, this is what your license fee is paying for and these are commercial elements. And these, these commercial elements are paid for by advertising and, and that is... Uh, that is fine. There was even before any of this, because we can go back to before this scandal was happening, the, the, the regulator, the Broadcasting Authority, does a, an annual review, uh, external consultants into what do RTE uh, and, and TG Car do in return for, for licence fee income. And what they were already finding at that point was, is before any, any of this started happening back in, in June, was that the organisation was overly stretched, its remit was, was too wide, it was being asked to do far too many things for the money that it was being given. So it was basically saying, you ought to give it more money, that, that option doesn't seem to be massively in favour by government, well then you need to whittle back what it is that, that the organisation does. And we'd expect that point will be in some way uh, addressed tomorrow. Uh, Colleen, would you be able to sort of outline what that Channel 4 model looks like? I think it's a misnomer. I mean, Channel 4 doesn't get government money, so I don't really understand. It's not a hybrid. It's it's completely, um, you know, it. It outsources. ITN does its news mm. and the rest of the programmes are completely outsourced. It's public service in, in spirit, I guess, but it's actually, a, you know, it outsources. It's now going to be, I think, I think there was a decision about a month ago that said that it was going to be allowed to make its own programming. Now that's new. It's not been allowed to make its own programming up to now. So that's completely different. You know, it, it has to buy in, it has to support the ind independent sector, but now it's going to be allowed to make its own programming, providing it's not too competitive with the independent sector. OK, is there one positive in this, which is that RT is committed to putting more funding into the independent sector in Ireland? That is big, and that will be very, very important. And a lot of people in the independent sector, where I worked before as well, they have been really very worried about what's coming out in this. But the outsourcing aspect is going to be massive tomorrow at this meeting. For example, news and current affairs, if that is one of the core services, will probably remain fairly secure. But those that are working in programmes in other areas, they tonight are more worried than other sectors. And then you're going to have a bit of a divide and rule type of thing. It's going to be really difficult. Really, it's a, This is a dark, dark, dark period for public service broadcasting. I think one of the questions that we have to answer is, is, is RT the only deliverer of public sector broadcasting in the country? And we do have to look at other operators and the, the role that they have. Like, for example, the Dublin market, you have two Dublin TDs here. We don't have any real current affairs regional coverage in, 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 the, in the city in Dublin. We have very little newspaper paper coverage. My rural colleagues right mm. across the country have local radio stations and they have strong local papers. A lot we, of the commercial Dublin stations might disagree with you there. But they well. don't have a current affairs role. They, lots of entertainment on it, but yeah, well, they don't have the same current affairs role. if you organise yeah. a proper method for public service and broadcasting that's point, funding. That's but the point you, I'm making, David. Okay. But, if you, but th you've been talking about that for years and you've done nothing about it. Okay, just very finally, Paul, will this be enough to satisfy government that RTE should get the funding it has asked for? But look, as I say, we have to keep RTE going into the next financial year. It would appear that this is with the minimum requirement to do that. But there are still big questions. The questions I just asked, uh, that Damien asked, that Public Accounts Committee are asking, none of those questions are answered in this plan. There's a, a long way to go on this. All right, look, we're going to have to leave that conversation there for now. My thanks to Damien and to Colleen. Next, the father of Irish-Israeli hostage Emily Hand is in Dublin and he made an emotional appeal for her safe return. Do stay with us.
Well, the father of Irish-Israeli hostage, Emily Hand, has said he's a physical... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And mental mess and can't stop shaking over his missing daughter. He's in Dublin for talks on the family's frantic efforts to secure the release of his child. He's been speaking to our news correspondent, Zara King, ahead of Emily's ninth birthday on Friday. I've really, on my bended knees, I, I, I ask for my little Emily back. Please, please let them go. Tom Hand has travelled from Israel to Dublin to issue a fresh appeal for the safe return of his daughter, eight-year-old Emily, who is being held hostage inside Gaza. People will be watching the news tonight and they will be wondering, how are you doing? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a physical and mental mess. Uh, I literally can't stop shaking internally. Yeah, my, my physical... Being is uh, going down, but uh, my mental is going down. But uh, I can't let that affect me. Uh, I just have to keep pushing, pushing forward to try and get Emily back. You are now on a sort of journey around the world to try and garner support for the release of Emily. Um, tell us what's going to happen during your time here in Dublin. Uh, I'm going to speak to. Um, Obviously, reporters and uh, uh, Irish ministers, other ministers from other countries, actually. Uh, and what will you be asking them? What will you be asking the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar when you meet him this evening? Uh, first of all, I'll, I'll be asking them if they've got any, any information to give to me. Hopefully, some good news. Uh, I'll be asking them what, what they've got planned to do in the future. Um, I know for a fact that they are really, really pushing hard and uh, I appreciate that. What do you think now is the most productive path forward for Emily's safe release? Any pressure from any authority, you know, governmental, UNICEF, Red Cross, can only help. What are your fondest memories of Emily and the time that you spent with her? Always laughing, always joking, always dancing, always singing. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> 
very, very active little girl, um, passionate about music, dancing. Uh, yeah, I want to see her doing, doing that again. Her birthday is coming up now, this, this Friday, I believe. Yeah, this Friday on the 17th, yeah. I mean, you clearly hope that she will be home in time for that. Yeah, yeah, that would be a dream, dream come true, yeah. Be a miracle. Do you allow yourself to envisage and imagine the day that she'll come home? Can you even allow yourself to imagine that right now? No, I have, um, I have a mental vision of summer house somewhere. I can't imagine what conditions it would be, but someone will release her, probably from a distance, and we'll, we'll both run to each other like, a, like in a film. Uh, just pick her up, pick her up in my arms and, and hug her so tight. She must be in those tunnels going, where's my dad? Where's my dad? Why is he not, why is he not coming to save me? She's only a child. Of course she's going, where's my dad? Where's my dad? Thomas Hand speaking to our correspondent, Zara King, earlier today. Meanwhile, the UN says its humanitarian effort in Gaza will grind to a halt in the next 48 hours if no fuel is brought in. It comes as other humanitarian organisations had to abandon their efforts to evacuate a major hospital because of continuous fighting nearby. Well, earlier I spoke to Leila Malana Allen, a special correspondent with PBS NewsHour, who's in the Israeli city of Tel Aviv. We have been hearing and seeing the most horrifying images and stories coming out of Al-Shifa. Al-Shifa, of course, the biggest hospital in the Gaza Strip, and it's right there in the center of Gaza City, which is the area that the IDF has for weeks been calling for civilians to evacuate from. And doctors have always said, Initially, we can't evacuate from this hospital. We have so many people on life support. We have so many babies in incubators. And then what started happening as the bombing started becoming more intense was people flooded into the hospital. They took refuge there, as well as all the many thousands of wounded from this bombardment. They've stayed there. The doctors have stayed on. We've been hearing from doctors saying, we will not leave. We're going to die. We think this might be our last day. Doctors from inside the hospital been backed up by MSF and several other NGOs saying that there have been sniper bullets coming in through the windows. They're taking cover as they try to heal people. Yesterday, we saw 39 babies had to be taken off incubators because there was no electricity left in there anymore. Three of those babies currently confirmed to have died. They're trying to give them manual resuscitation to keep their hearts and lungs going at the moment. And meanwhile, strikes happening outside the hospital, strikes happening on ambulances, horrific scenes. Today, we saw pictures of 100 dead bodies rotting outside the hospital because they can't take them anywhere for burial. This really is an absolutely horrifying situation. And meanwhile, the IDF says, look, we are convinced that Hamas's main operations center is underneath the hospital. We've told them to evacuate. We've told them to leave. We've tried to help them do that, and they're not doing so. And doctors, of course, saying there's absolutely no way we could get these people out of here alive, and we won't abandon them.
And we've had these comments from the US President Joe Biden this evening saying that the hospital must be protected. He has called for less intrusive action around Al-Shifa in particular. Are those comments very significant? Will they be listened to? This is a very difficult situation for the Americans. They have, from the beginning, of course, said we absolutely support Israel's right to defend itself uh, after the horrific attacks on 7th of October. This can never happen again. And of course, I have been in many of those kibbutzes, in many of those communities where people were killed in the most horrifying way right next to that border. So many people in America, many people in the American government absolutely behind this effort to eradicate Hamas for good. The problem is, firstly, public reaction. As the days go on and thousands more Gazan civilians die, this argument over how much collateral damage is acceptable is starting to hit politicians very hard, and particularly American politicians, as they've started to lose their good connections with the Arab Muslim community in America, and they're really concerned about that. But it's a sticking point, because while they can pressure the Israeli government and the IDF, while they can encourage them to do to take humanitarian action. They have convinced them of taking these humanitarian pauses to allow people to leave. They're really trying to convince them of this fuel issue. And now the IDF says yesterday they did offer some fuel. They say the hospital refused it. Hospital doctors completely deny that. But the problem is for the Americans that they're caught in the middle here. More and more civilians are dying. At what point can they not support this anymore? But the Israelis say that, in the end, is where the fundamental center of Hamas's operation, the nerve center of it, is, and they will not yeah. back down. Uh, Paul McAuliffe, Gary Gannon and Fiona Sheehan are still here with me in studio for more on this. Uh, Fiona, the Tanisha Michal Martin is heading over to the Middle East himself, I think, a little later in the week, potentially tomorrow night or, or Wednesday. What is he trying to achieve by going over there? What... He's, he's visiting uh, Egypt, Israel, Palestine, uh, the West Bank, not, not Gaza, uh, obviously. Uh, what he's trying to do is, is express the view of a, a, an EU nation uh, that has got a, a respected voice on the international stage, that has been seen to be a, a fair arbiter uh, with the countries in, involved uh, here country that had our own colonial history and we've had our own history of a, of a peace process and, and trying to express uh, the Irish government's firm view that there, there there needs to be a cessation of the violence here and that, that nothing is achieved uh, without sitting down and talking around the, around the table. So that's, that, I suppose, is what he's, he's hoping to achieve. Whether that will be, be listened to or not, don't know. I mean, we, Ireland... He is visiting also southern Israel, isn't he, in some of the areas that yeah. Hamas attacked. Is yeah, that he... sort of a, a, a repositioning, do you think, by him and by Ireland, that we are perhaps a more neutral voice? Because we have some of those in, within Israel who criticise Ireland who think they are too pro-Palestine. Well, no, I, th I think the Irish government has been quite clear from the off that the, the, the attacks by Hamas on October the 7th were unilaterally condemned. Uh, so I don't think there's been any question of where the Irish government uh, stands in that. And, and the government has also quite firmly said that Israel has the right to defend itself. But where the, the Taunish and the Taoiseach have, have gone beyond that is to say they do not believe that the current action uh, is proportionate uh, in terms of that, that and that response or that it adheres to accepted uh, international uh, norms and, and, and laws. So he will be bringing that, that message uh, with him. I suppose it, it carries forth with his view as well that in, at a, in a time of crisis, that's the very time you keep diplomatic ties open 
that you, you keep the lines of communication open so you can express your view and not just be ignored. Okay, you keep the lines of diplomacy open, particularly at a time like this, Gary Gannon, and mm -hmm. yet the SOC Dems have decided to bring this motion on Wednesday, calling for a number of sanctions against Israel, but also oh. the expulsion of the ambassador here. Yeah. That's not keeping the lines of communication open, is it? In terms of keeping the lines of communications open, we have an ambassador here at the minute, and at the same time, we still have 40 citizens in Gaza with, palace, with Irish passports who are simply not even allowed to come out. They're not allowed there, and that's in that's in totally contrary to what the situation is for other EU nations. And um, do you think by expelling? I the ambassador here, uh, that would improve so, yeah, the potential outcome for those 40 Irish I, passport holders currently I, trapped in Gaza. I tell you what I think very firmly. The situation that we have at the minute where words, 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 but no consequence has brought it to a point where we've now had five weeks of unimaginable savagery. 11,000 dead. They stopped counting the bodies last Friday because there was that many under rubble that they simply couldn't keep up with it. We've had 20 of the 35 hospitals in Gaza which have been now rendered obsolete through bombardment, sniper rifles. We've had UN workers murdered, over 90 journalists targeted. So what I do fundamentally believe is Israel, that cannot go without consequence. So in terms of cutting off diplomatic ties with Israel, I think that's a justifiable response when we're clearly, our words aren't having any impact. Air motion goes well beyond that though. Air motion calls for the uh, EU-Israel trade agreement, which has humanitarian clauses put you into it. We call for uh, Ireland to advance that in terms of highlighting those um, clauses and calling for that to be ceased. That's so economic sanctions absolutely. on Israel you want to see There's too? In, yes, clearly. It's similar to what happened to Russia where the whole European, the whole world um, unified around economic sanctions to try to bring that to an end. There are other things yeah. there. We call for Occupied Territories Bill, the Divestments Bill. Look, we believe in consequence because what's happening at the minute cannot go without it. Okay, Paul McAuliffe, having the Israeli ambassador in situ has given us no leverage when it comes to diplomacy. And it would send a strong message to expel her. Well, look, what Fiona is saying has said is that that Ireland has a respected voice on this, and I agree with him on the, on on that. And I think that's what the Tonister will be principally doing uh, this week in the region. He'll also be trying to seek the release of the forty Irish citizens that Israel is preventing uh, from from, le from leaving uh, Gaza, and he'll also be trying to seek the release of of, of Emily Hand. And I think that all of that is incredibly important work which needs diplomatic channels. Uh, and I think while... But to that point that Gary Gannon makes, we've five weeks, we see the horrific things happening absolutely. in Al-Shifa Hospital. Absolutely. And he's saying words are actually not working. We but, see words from Joe Biden but, this evening I, condemning what's happening I, at the I, hospital, I, but they're not having the impact. I, I disagree, though, because I think when the doll as a, as a united voice speaks together, it has a very strong... Uh, voice. We we were the first parliament in the world to do, to to call for uh, Israel an apartheid state. We were the we first. We were Israel an apartheid state. We, we were the. We, Sorry, we didn't do that. We, we have to. We, we have haven't. To we haven't called it. Well, it, 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 your own party leader refuses to describe Israel. Oh, I'm as happy to. I'm happy to you describe it as an apartheid state. Don't apartheid state. That. That's an important point to make. We have not done that. We 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 voted we voted in the doll on 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 a carry right, and we also had we were also one of the first parliaments to call for 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 a ceasefire, and 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 I think when we have that. United voice when we together call out what Israel is doing and Israel what Israel is doing is disproportionate. We hear the words of Tom Hans. We hear the word, words of Tom Hans in English. But are, there were four thousand Palestinian parents uh, who who also ha who also have have, have, have lost life. I, I just think the idea of trying to cut off diplomatic channels while the Tanisha is in the region. Uh, completely defeats the purpose. And can I make one? I, I, one? I just took back to that point, Gary yeah. Gannon, because we see Thomas Hans saying there that he yes. is putting 
pressure on government. He seems to believe in diplomacy in all of this. If you look at, the, and my heart breaks for Thomas Sands and anyone who does, if you look at the hostages and missing families forum, a representative group in Israel, for example, or a collective group of the hostages families, they themselves are saying that the Israeli government is not listening to them when they're calling for ceasefire. They're very clearly pointing to a lack of urgency when it comes from the Israeli state calling for a ceasefire. Words are not mattering here. I, uh, we bring this motion forward with the full intent of bringing this savagery okay, to ask, an end. Ask, as well as removing yeah, the Israeli ambassador, you're also removing the Irish ambassador from Israel. One of the strongest voices for a ceasefire in the diplomatic corps is the Irish ambassador. They're being they will be removed, right? If, the, if, this mo if this motion was followed through. Equally, the place of refuge for Irish citizens in the region is the Irish embassy in Tel Aviv and the embassy in, in Ramallah. Are you, are you saying that those two places should be shut down? Does Irish citizens currently seeking refuge in the Irish embassy? Okay, no, but what I'm saying, my point is, why would, why would, we, clo why would we close down those Paul, channels? Does that Gary respond? Yeah, Our embassy would close too. So, so why would we close down those channels? Well, firstly, because they're not working at the minute. We make, we stand up and say, we will not be complicit in this savagery. That's okay. what we... Do, do you think Ireland is complicit in the savagery? Do you think that Israel... Do you think Israel believes Ireland Do you think it's a legitimate position to stand back and say, we've the least blood on our hands? Do you think Israel believes Ireland condones what they're doing? That is disgraceful. There's no way Israel believes Ireland condones what they're doing. No, Can I actually right. read out a statement Nobody. from one of Paul's colleagues All in right. relation to a different one? So say, you might recognise these very words from one of your colleagues. We're a state of proud very record of standing up to aggression. That's why I find it so hard to understand a country that's proud of war and is prepared to associate itself diplomatically with a regime that is present committing war crimes. Jim McCallaghan talking about the expulsion of the Russian ambassador. Right. How is this different? The hypocrisy stinks. Okay, it, it, no, Paul, it, it, one it, sentence and then we've got to go. It, it's different because the consequences impact Irish citizens more than they do the punishment that's prescribed. Right. That's the absolute difference, Gary. We're going to have to leave that there for now. My thanks to Paul McAuliffe and to Gary Gannon. Next, drama over in the UK. Suella is sacked. And guess who's back? David Cameron in from the political wilderness. Lots more on that very dramatic Tory reshuffle. Do stay with us. Well, David Cameron, the former British Prime Minister who gambled on Brexit and lost, is back in frontline politics. His return as Foreign Secretary is the big surprise in Rishi Sunak's cabinet reshuffle, with the current Prime Minister also sacked his controversial Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, after she was accused of stoking tensions by criticising the policing methods of London's Metropolitan Force. Fionnan is still here with me and I'm also joined from the UK by journalist and TRT World presenter Enda Brady. Enda, what a day in British politics. It was absolutely fascinating to watch it all play out. T to go to Rishi Sunak first, because I know David Cameron is a big talking point, but to go to Rishi Sunak first, he was seen as weak for not sacking Suella Braverman. How is he seen now? Well, I think, in all honesty, people are questioning why he has done this. And I mean, members of his own party, letters of no confidence have gone in already tonight uh, to the chairman of the 1922 committee because people just can't understand why he has done this. And really, it doesn't say much about his confidence in his current MPs that he didn't feel like one of them was fit to hold that office, foreign secretary. It's one of the biggest jobs in British politics. And who did he go to? someone who 
vanished off the scene, you know, seven years ago in very questionable circumstances. So as much as Sunak has been saying recently that he's the man to deliver change and he's the future, he's really taken Britain back, back to the past. And I mean, when he appointed Suella Braverman, there was all this talk about the baggage, I suppose, that she brought with her. But David Cameron, OK, he's, he's modern, he's centrist, he's very different to Suella that way, but he has plenty of baggage too. He does. Obviously, Brexit will be the first paragraph of anything ever written about David Cameron from here to eternity. And he's been lobbying for very questionable people over the last few years. He's made an awful lot of money. Look, I, I know Cameron reasonably well. He lives in Oxfordshire. I see him occasionally. And I've always had the impression since he left mainstream politics, frontline politics, that he's been bored, really. And there's only so much sitting around the house you can do. I mean, he's still a relatively young man. He's in his 50s. He's healthy. His children are growing up. And I feel this for David Cameron now really is a shot at redemption. In the Conservative Party, he feels like he's still got something to give to his country. But how it works out is anyone's guess, because this was just jaw-dropping today to see him walking up Downing Street. Camera crews couldn't believe what they were seeing. We knew nothing about the, what role he was getting. Some people felt that maybe he was just going in to get a seat in the Lords. And sure enough, he did get a seat in the Lords. He's got a life peerage. And they used that route. You know, remember, he's not an MP anymore. So they've had to make him a life peer in the House of Lords. He's now Lord Cameron and Foreign Secretary. In terms of the sacking of Suella Breverman, with that, he really has lost, I suppose, that very right-wing element of the Conservative party. Is that what he has done now? He has just decided to, to give up and trying to unite the Conservatives and just make the party that he wants and to make it as strong as he possibly can before an election? Yeah, I think what Sunak is doing really is he's read the room very well. He's realised that there's an awful lot of very serious talent has drained away from the Conservative party the last five, six years in particular. And Cameron's a big beast sitting around at home. You know, last time I saw him, he was fixing a table tennis table on his patio with a screwdriver and he'd nothing else in the diary that day. And, you know, he, he's a very switched on guy. He's got a lot of energy and he's a very intelligent man. And I have to say, he has huge respect for Ireland. And we, we've spoken a lot. And I remember him saying to me what they, how proud he was of the relationship between Dublin and London when he was prime minister. And I think it pained him that that relationship in recent years had deteriorated. So okay. it's a big job and he's a big beast and he will do his utmost. But look, the one headline from the weekend that nobody's talking about is the most recent poll of polls. Labour here are on 45.2%. The Conservatives are on 25%. You know, appointing David Cameron foreign secretary is not going to make up 20.2%. It's right. just not going to happen. Let me just bring in Fiona Sheehan here. I suppose the big question, Fiona, is this going to change the fortunes of the Conservatives? Is this the Rishi reset that we didn't see at the Tory party conference? No, it, it's probably more a, a defence-minded move uh, on Sunak's part. He's got red wall seats up the north of a traditional Labour that Boris Johnson won last time out in the landslide around delivering on Brexit and because Jeremy Corbyn was such a bad uh, leader. Now, this seems to be more a defensive position to protect the, the blue wall of traditional Tory seats to prevent kind of your, your mainstream, middle ground, liberal thinking voters from drifting towards the, the, the Liberal Democrats, 
who are probably the type of people who will be appalled by Suella Braverman's behaviour uh, over, over recent weeks. So this will appeal to that traditional base. Here we are bringing a guy uh, back in, into the fold who wasn't the Brexiteer. He was just a really bad judge uh, of, of his, own, his own party and let the lunatic fringe basically let take over. Let them go because he and, was never going to control them. Yeah, he forced, uh, he allowed himself to be forced into, into a referendum without seeing uh, okay. what, what proper plan was in place. Very quickly, one word. When will we see the election in the UK? May or October now? I'd still think October, yeah, he'll hold out as long as he can. All right, look, we'll have to leave that there for now. But my thanks to Fiona Sheehan and to all my guests this evening. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms and you can also find us on Instagram and TikTok tonight, VMTV. But from all of the late team here, good night and do take care. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.